This podcast covers mature, intense, morbid, and sometimes just scary stuff. Listener discretion is advised. In 1692, over 200 people were accused of witchcraft in the Salem Witch Trials. But what led to the trials has less to do with witches than you think. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. We talk about people, places, things, everything. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Vasami. Mass hysteria or mass psychogenic illness is the infection of a community with symptoms that have no cause responsible for contagion, meaning it's all in their minds. Maybe you've heard of that dancing plague. What? Which I'm sure we'll cover. Oh, we got to cover this in a future episode okay. if you've never heard of this. But that's the kind of thing that I think of okay. when I think of this. Oh, man. All right. Yeah, the hysteria can be a fast panic that boils over and makes people do things they would never otherwise do, you know, like commit mass murder. Or maybe kill a bunch of people because you think they're witches. Mm. We're, of course, referring to the mass hysteria that was the Salem Witch Trials of 1692. Yes, and you might be familiar with this. Maybe you read The Crucible in high school, maybe watched the movie, probably the Daniel Day-Lewis and Winona Ryder version done in like the 90s. I know DDL is really selective about his roles. <laughs> DDL. <laughs> like, is it is it in The Crucible where he he built an actual log cabin or whatever? He might have. That could have been Lincoln too. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, that would make sense yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he needs, we need another role from him. I know. He needs to come back. But the events that took place in Salem are remembered as some of the most gruesome and paranoid moments in American history. In a little over a year, 20 people would be executed and five would die in jail. Witchers were thought to wield their powerful evil, wrecking havoc on communities and tarnishing the innocent of the good Christian people. It was believed the only way to get rid of a witch was to destroy them. There were witch trials before Salem. The first reported one took place in 1484, brought on by accuser Heinrich Kramer. Kramer literally wrote the book on accusing people of witchcraft. It was called the uh, Malleus Maleficarum, or Hammer of Witches. Now say it like it was a Harry Potter spell, because I feel like that's going to put right. some mustard on it. Okay, here we go. Malleus Maleficarum. That was, <laughs> exactly. that was bad. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. I cringe. I'm embarrassed. What? That was great. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that was, people are going to clip that. I, <laughs> Make it their ringtones. God, I, that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry in advance. Um, but in the book, Kramer blamed women, a.k.a. witches, for his own lust and passed the book off as the official church position on witches. Okay, you're telling me that this man blamed women for his emotional response. Yes, yes, Elise. Mm, mm, mm. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> okay, and they were the witches. All right. Yeah. The Malleus is a guide to identifying, hunting, and interrogating witches. The book lays out how to torture a witch to get confessions and eventually kill them to end the demonic evils. Many historians point to the Malleus as a flashpoint for witch paranoia. For more than 100 years, the Malleus was the highest selling book next to the Bible. And the book came what? with the Yeah, I know. And the book came with the colonists to the Americas. Shut the front door. I had no idea. I didn't know that either. thing that existed. Yeah. Man. And it's like, it's just a guide on how to be misogynistic toward women. Yeah. Especially like during this time, it does make sense that like 
anything that was going against God and the church and religion uh, made sense that it was just like, this is evil. This is done by demons or something. So I can see why this book was like, yeah, especially them coming over and they're trying to like lay roots. They're Puritan. We'll get into it. But yeah, even though the church condemned the Malleus just three years after it was written, the death toll in Europe from it inspired witch hunts that ranged from 600,000 to a possible 9 million over 250 years. Are you kidding me? That's why this was also, I think, just a thing against women in general. Like, oh, it's it's finding just, an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, even if they weren't. But you, well, okay, we'll get into it, but like giving any signs of witchcraft or anything, it's just like, but you're a woman. I don't know. It's, yeah. Yeah. The witch hunts in Europe wouldn't die down until 1692, but as the hysteria began to dwindle in Europe, it seemed the new American colonies were just getting started. Oh my God. They brought that toxicity across the water. Mm -hmm. In 1692, the same year, over 200 people would be accused of witchcraft in Salem, Massachusetts. They were like, we need to leave our oppressive place in Europe. Oh, let's go oppress people over here. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And as you can see, you know, from the beginning scene of Hocus Pocus that I love, mm -hmm. today we are looking into the Salem witch trials of 1692. I mean, I'm kind of on the side of the Sanderson sisters. Me too. Are you kidding? This one. <laughs> But yeah, like we joke, but the story of the Salem witch trials is sad and frustrating. However, like any good story, the hysteria that took over the town is complicated and multifaceted. And to this day, it remains one of the most deadly witch hunts in America. On its face, the Salem witch trials are a fascinating tale of a town falling victim to widespread panic. The tragic executions of their own community and family members may have made Salem villagers feel safe for a moment, but they would have these lasting emotional scars that they could not escape. What led up to the collective mania was a mishmash of simmering political, social, and just religious tensions in Salem. Yeah, so eventually these tensions that had been building they boiled over on June 10th, 1692, when the Puritan court found 60-year-old Bridget Bishop guilty of witchcraft. She was hanged, and this got the ball rolling. 23 more would die within the year. So in order to truly understand what led to the Salem witch trials, we do have to dig into the history and the mindset of the Salem community and how the uniqueness of the town contributed to its downfall, but don't worry, we'll, we will get to like the fun part later when it comes to all the witchy weird stuff. So just bear with us for now. Yeah, we've hinted at it a little bit, especially like, you know, these are people that are coming from a place mm -hmm. where their beliefs are oppressed. Oops, mm -hmm. <laughs> they kind of do the same thing yeah. again. In 1622, these European settlers came and they began inhabiting the land of the indigenous Namkeag people and then that's where eventually they colonized Salem. Now, the town of Salem, we know it sits on the coast of Essex County, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. So soon after settling in Salem, the Puritans moved in and planted roots. Groups of Protestants were fleeing religious persecution in Europe, ironically, because they were doing things like accusing everybody of being witches. Yeah, <laughs> which is like... Okay, come on, guys. Do, you have to look inward. Maybe the, like, hi, like, hi, it's me. I'm the problem with me. <laughs> yes. You know, maybe think about that mm -hmm. here for a second. So they all thought that the Church of England was corrupt. So these Puritans fled to the American colonies to start a new life free from oppression. French col like colonialists are also settling in the area. So this meant that there was a lot of war dispute over land and property. 
The Salem Puritan community and its members lived in an extremely restrictive society. So even though they fled religious persecution, that did not stop them from establishing a society founded on religious intolerance. The hypocrisy is astounding. Uh In Salem, government and religious authority were inseparable. So if you questioned the local authority, this was also interpreted that you question the divine authority. So you question God if... Because they they acted like the people who were the authorities in life were imbued by some, you know, higher power. Yeah, and in order to prove your faithfulness as a Puritan, physical labor and a strict adherence to religious doctrine showed your honesty and your integrity. The sense of community in this Puritan society, it came from shared experiences and shared beliefs of the group as a whole. And if you think about it that way, it's not hard to see how something like this could lead to mass hysteria. The mentality that if there's one bad apple, it's going to spoil the whole bunch. That's how they thought. Mm -hmm. And unsurprising to all of us uh, was that the church dominated everything. So in Puritan society, the sermon was seen as a tool to teach the community morality and good values why the government actually enforced them. And like... Sometimes it's like, obviously, morality and good values in this situation are questionable. Mm -hmm. It's like somebody's idea of morality. Mm -hmm. It was a very rigid society, to say the least. So it it emphasized on work while suppressing the individual. You were your contribution. Yeah. Right? You weren't a person. Material and sexual desires were the devil's work, and they could be punished by law. The Puritans freely punished anyone who pursued any sexual gratification Yeah, I can't believe, I mean, because it's like any sexual gratification, it's so weird just because sex is just a normal thing. You obviously have to have sex too in order to create more of a population and have children. It's crazy. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess they would have considered it like you're supposed to just be procreating, not having fun doing this. Yeah. Greed Mm. and quarreling were also considered evil and the work of the devil which was unfortunate for people living in Salem in the late 1600s because greed and quarreling were taking over the community. You played yourselves. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Due to wars in the Northeast, many displaced colonists were being pushed into Essex County and thus into Salem. And it became a community known for its ill-tempered population. I wish we could do that now, just like push all the... Mm -hmm. The shitty people in one place. Neighboring communities viewed Salem as quarrelsome. There were always arguments about property lines and grazing rights. Plus, they ran through ministers in record time. The first two, James Bailey and George Burrow, each stayed only a few years because the congregation was so dysfunctional. Former Reverend Burroughs would later be arrested and hanged at the height of the witchcraft trials in August uh, 1692, one of the few men to be killed. And then almost as if they were begrudgingly doing it, the village appointed another minister, Samuel Paris. And there was a bit of a disagreement about his ordination to the church, but eventually they got over it and decided to hire him. But he was kind of dragging his feet. Paris thought Mm -hmm. the town was too divided for him to properly minister. Eventually, he did accept. The agreement was that he would be paid 66 pounds a year and his family could live in the clergy house. So he moves his family from his sugarcane plantation in Barbados to Salem, Mm -hmm. which it's like, that's a big difference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it was a big change for his wife, Elizabeth, his slave, Tituba, and his three children, Thomas, Betty, and Susanna. Once settled in Salem, Paris was unsuccessful in calming the contentious issues that plague the community. The Salem villagers grew tired and impatient of the people around them who refused to live Puritan lifestyles. 
Yeah. And then they keep getting into arguments. The town starts to disagree about how Reverend Paris should be compensated and paid. In October of 1691, they officially decide they're just going to stop paying him. Yeah, but this only led to more personal issues in the community. Everybody was on edge and looking for someone to blame. And Reverend Paris, he's probably pretty pissed because he's like, I moved my family here and you're not going to pay me. But he has one ally in the community, which is the Putnam family. And the Putnams were considered the symbol of a perfect Puritan lifestyle, and they owned a ton of property in the village. Yes, Thomas Putman has been born in Salem, rare for many of the people living there. He and his wife, Ann Putman, had 12 children, one of them being Ann Putman Jr., who would later set off a chain of fatal events accusing 62 people of witchcraft. Yeah, if you know any background about the Salem Witch Trials, that's the name that you probably know, Ann Putnam Jr. Oh, yeah. Because uh, she was... Uh, Drilled into my brain. You know, yep. Ann Putnam Jr. rhymes with shit disturber. Sure does, Elise. <laughs> she was stirring a lot of it up. <laughs> if the Putnams represented the epitome of Puritan life, then the Porters were the opposite. They were like the bad boys of Salem, <laughs> the worst nightmare. They were an up-and-coming family working in maritime trade in adjacent Salem town. The porters were considered worldly and liberal in their political and religious practices, a sin by Puritan standards. So as we mentioned, any affront to the church was a crime. And these two families, they constantly locked horns over land and property lines. But things really came to a head with the appointment of Reverend Paris in 1689. Yeah, so the Putmans were pro-Reverend Paris who was a conservative minister and would not tolerate the porter's lax religious lifestyle. Yeah, but rewind to 1691, months before the witch trials tore through Salem, and you would find the porters and their allies had managed to take control of Salem's local affairs. It was the porters specifically who had decided to cut Reverend Paris's salary and then refused to pay him. So yeah, the feud between the Putmans and the porters were so great that the entire village of Salem would get into public debates and even fistfights over the dueling families. A lot of historians credit the family feuds with flaming the fires of the witch trials. I bet. So that's kind of where the social climate of Salem was at the Mm -hmm. time. Now, if we fast forward a few months to February 1692, another key player in this was nine-year-old Betty Paris, who was Reverend Paris's middle child. And she was playing with her cousin, Abigail Williams, who was 11 at the time. This is the fun part for me. I love getting into all of this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the young girls were playing a game that would supposedly predict their future husbands. The game consisted of dropping an egg into a glass of water and interpreting the shape. <laughs> My husband's going to be egg-shaped. I, I was like, what a fun game, Elise. Let's play. <laughs> yeah. we, should, I, we should try to, maybe for social, recreate the Salem Witch Trials. Yes. Uh, husband egg water game. Do it. Let's so do it. Find it online. Yeah. And so Reverend Paris, he catches these two young girls playing this game. And look, you're a Puritan. You shouldn't be dropping nothing in water to try to figure out your husband. Especially an egg. This is, this is this is not couth of a young lady. So he scolds Betty, and as a result, she just kind of goes fully catatonic, like stops speaking just in a daze, right? Mm-hmm. She goes into the state, and the Parises alert their physician, who then, they don't probably have a, a concept of what catatonia is at this mm-hmm. point, but the physician says, Betty has been bewitched. Yeah, and then suddenly... 
Abigail, the other girl she was playing with, was afflicted too. Abigail and Betty screamed, threw things around the room, uttered strange noises, crawled under the furniture, and contorted themselves into weird shapes. So yeah, they're like having these fits. And John Hale, who was a minister in a nearby town, he had described them because he saw them firsthand. And he said, beyond the power of the epileptic fits or natural disease to affect. So in his perception, this couldn't be a natural response. This was for sure the result of some kind of sorcery. Sorcery! I just hear him yelling. <laughs> yeah, what sorcery? The, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I think it was just two girls being brats. Yeah, oh yeah. They're just like, yeah. absolutely. Have you seen kids these days? I mean, even back mm. then, just kids are kids. <laughs> Have you seen kids those, those days? Those days, I mean, kids are just crazy. They got in trouble. Yeah. They weren't supposed to be doing that, and so they acted out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in March of 1692, 12-year-old Ann Putman Jr., who we mentioned earlier, also began having episodes, but hers were considered the most convincing. Soon after Ann Jr. started showing signs of the devil, her best friend Mary Walcott also became possessed, followed by Mercy Lewis, the Putman's servant girl. Yeah, this is where we're kind of seeing, like, maybe this is where the mass hysteria is spreading. Yep. Eventually, the possessions would spread beyond just the Parises and the Putnams. So when Reverend Lawson, uh, who was guest preaching in the church, he, you know, was interrupted during his sermons by these loud outbursts from these afflicted girls. The girls said that they had been bitten, pinched, and abused. The girls convulsed, their eyes rolled into the back of their heads, and their mouths would hang open. The girls complained that they were being pricked with pins, but there were no visible marks. Soon another girl, Elizabeth Hubbard, was shouting and contorting, claiming she was also cursed. She was 17, so a bit older than the other girls who had claimed to be experiencing this. One thing that stands out about Hubbard is that she didn't have a familial connection like the Putmans or the Parises because her uncle, Dr. Griggs, was Salem's village doctor. Many believe that she was intimately aware of the symptoms plaguing Betty and Abigail. Yeah, and, like, I know we talk about cultural priming all the time on this podcast, but, like, she, this might have been a thing psychologically where she's she's seeing other people or this this being a thing. Her doctor is the village doctor, so she's hearing about this, and it's almost like incepting her mind. Yeah, and, and my first thought was, like, and I don't know if this is just me, what I would do. Maybe I would. I don't know. But it's, like, because they were so, like, Goody two shoes, Puritan lifestyle, being so strict with just like not doing so suppressed, so suppressed, oppressed. Yes, yeah. that that she's seeing these other girls do it, and I mean, I'm sure it felt so good to just like freaking lash out, move your body, do weird things, and not just be so stiff. And I don't know, I just would have been like, I want to do that too. Yeah, it's like Footloose. Yeah, you just gotta dance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so Hubbard, she starts experiencing this. Her first fit happened February first, sixteen ninety two. But because she was older, she could also testify in or under oath in court. So she became one of the most like deadliest impactful witnesses in the trials. Oh, and she was extremely dramatic. Hubbard was well known for going into fits while on the stand. And at one point she was reported as being in a deep trance and uh, unable to speak. So the public sees this happening to the girls and they all come to the conclusion like this is the devil. They're under the spell of the devil. And the children begin making screeching accusations, and they're almost, like, encouraged and egged on by the adults, too, Mm -hmm. because the adults get so into it. And Reverend Paris, you know, he went to his daughter and niece, and he asked them, like, who torments you? Who is 
casting these spells or whatever on you that is making you act this way. And the girls give him three names. Yes. First to be accused of witchcraft was Tichuba. So Tichuba was a South American Kalina woman from the West Indies. Safe to say she looked, spoke, and acted very different from the citizens of Salem. She was from a different place. Not at all surprising that she would be profiled in this way. Yeah. She was accused of enchanting Abigail and Betty with stories from the Malleus Maleficarum, the book that Jess mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Tichuba was also accused of sharing sexually explicit stories with the girls and showing them fortune telling. And here's the thing, though. Tichuba, she ultimately confessed to being a witch. Mm -hmm. She describes seeing black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and confessed that she saw a tall man with white hair who wanted her to sign his book. She told the court that there were also several other witches in the midst who wanted to destroy the Puritans. And I don't really know what Tichuba's situation was, but I wonder if there was, I mean, and, and also history is written by you know, she didn't write the history, right? No, yeah. We don't mm-hmm. we don't know what what ultimately this this was. Like we yeah. have an account from somebody in 1692 who might have lied and written down, oh yeah, she confessed to being a witch. Yes. But what we know about interrogation is when somebody is broken down mentally when interrogated, they might confess to something they didn't do. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, I mean, with the things that she's describing, like there's also another thing that wasn't really super prevalent back then, which was just like simple mental health. Like maybe she was really seeing these things, you know? Um, and maybe mm-hmm. she, and maybe that was just like a, a brain thing. Um, yeah. but I don't know. You, we, we have no idea. I will say if they did break her down and she was like, well, they're going to accuse me of this no matter what. I got to give it up to Tichuba if she was like, I'm going to take down some of these other people with me. Absolutely. <laughs> like like, I'm, oh, yeah, there are other witches here, too. Yeah. I got to give it up to her. Yeah. We're going to talk more about how things just got out of hand after a word from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know those moments when your brain's on a bit of a self-sabotage mission where you know what you should do, but you can't? will yourself to do it, who hasn't been there, that's where therapy can be very, very helpful. Going to therapy is like having your own personal mind detective is the best way to put it. uh, Therapists help you uncover what's been lurking in the shadows and holding you back so you can finally be your own cheerleader, not your own obstacle course. If you've been considering giving therapy a shot, BetterHelp is a great option. They are entirely online, super convenient, and perfect for fitting into your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a quick questionnaire. They'll match you up with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime and it won't cost you a single extra penny. I've been going to therapy for three and a half years, actually, and it is the best thing for me. I actually took a break for about hmm, maybe a year and I realized that I needed to go back because there were just some things happening that I just could not handle on my own. And it's okay to ask for help because sometimes there are things that are just too big for us to handle on our own. So um, I think going to therapy is great. Even if there's nothing like super big going on, sometimes it's just the daily stuff that builds up and you just need to talk to somebody about it. Just just getting things off, off your mind, off your chest. 
So make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash 30mm today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash 30mm. Gear up for the season ahead with quality shades built to last. Our friends, our literal friends at Shady Rays, have you covered with premium polarized shades and quick swap snow goggles that will not break the bank. Shady Rays is an independent sunglass company that offers an unrivaled product that's just as good as any expensive pair that I have worn. Trust me, I own multiple pairs of Shady Rays and they really are top tier. They have durable frames and world-class optics for all outdoor adventures. And especially if you're into winter sports, you know, where we are entering that season, um, their quick swap snow lenses move effortlessly between full sun to low light environments. So I hear, you know, I live in, I live in Texas and, uh, I, uh, am staring at the sun all day, every day here. It has been so hot. Um, and so I have multiple pairs, but my, uh, two faves are the Allure Lavender Polarized. And I also love my Oakmont Tortoise Polarized. Um, I actually had another Oakmont, um, the, uh, the all black and I lost them in New York. And, uh, what do you know? I used Shady Ray's, um, their lost and broken replacements. So they offer the most insane protection, you know, of, of all eyewear. So yes, every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost or broken replacements. So if you lose or break a pair, even on day one, they told us that they will just send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. So I did that. I lost my all black, uh, Oakmont's but I was like, you know what? If I'm going to get a new pair, I want to try the tortoise. I was always curious. So I got the tortoise and it was great. And so you can wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. So Shady Rays is also committed to making a difference in communities across the U.S. through their impact program, teaming up with nonprofits to help people live healthy, courageous lives through some of their most challenging times. So if you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's absolutely no risk when you shop and their team is always has your back with personal and fast support. So exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out an amazing deal for the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code 30MM for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. So try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Back to the episode. Well, the next to be accused was Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. So like Tichaba, Good and Osborne were outcasts in the community. So on March 6th, uh, 1692, Good was accused of witchcraft by Abigail and Betty, the two original girls. Good was a destitute woman who was accused solely based on her reputation. Her father had committed suicide, and as a result, her property was stripped away from her, leaving her to beg from households in Salem. Yeah, so these girls are targeting women who are already, like, on the outskirts. Mm -hmm. Many in the community considered women who depended on other households for money as already practicing witchcraft. Even Good's husband would go on to accuse her, claiming she was a witch because of her, quote, bad carriage towards him, meaning she didn't meet his expectations for a wife. Sarah Osborne was also seen as a bad egg in Salem. 
She rarely went to church. She had a son from a previous marriage, and apparently the town had many feelings about her controlling her son's inheritance. Mm -hmm. Townspeople also believe she acted too much in her own self-interest, mainly because she got remarried. Ooh. Oh, Spooky. man. Oh, man. Yeah. Yep. Once the accusations were made, Tichuba, Good, and Osborne were left to fend for themselves. However, the accusations weren't enough to get the arrest warrants going. There had to be actual, like, written complaints from people to be questioned and then imprisoned. Brothers Thomas and John Putnam, they took care of that. On March 1st, 1692, the women were arrested on the complaint of witchcraft and interrogated for several days. Shortly after, Good, Osborne, and Tichuba were arrested. Martha Corey, Rebecca Nurse, Rachel Clinton, and Dorothy Good, who was only four years old, were also accused of witchcraft. Four years old. Mm -hmm. And like, just going back to this, they were interrogated for several days. Like, going back to what we know about when people get into interrogations, the effect that it can have on you mentally and emotionally, and you might just confess to something that you didn't do. You know, Corey, Martha Corey... She didn't even believe in witches and sorcery. Like, she publicly denounced the witch trials, and she was very outspoken in believing that the young girls were lying. So once the girls heard this, Corey was immediately accused of witchcraft. But the town was actually surprised to see her accused. She was, again, known for her devotion and was dedicated to the church. Mm -hmm. So this feels like a targeting now at this point, too. So on March 23rd, 1692, a warrant was issued for Rebecca Nurse by Edward and John Putnam. Now, the community was pretty upset by this. Okay, Nurse was 71 years old, and she, like uh, Corey, was an upstanding member of the church. So if Nurse was a witch, that meant that any good Puritan person could be. So there was no place to hide. Everybody is vulnerable here. And then... Just chaos just Mm -hmm. happened. Just chaos ensued. Mm -hmm. 39 community members went on to sign a petition on Nurse's behalf, but that did little to sway the accusing girls who seemed to be running the town at this point. Yeah, everything was in a fever. You go, girls. (laughs) That's the thing. It's like it's kind of girl power, but it's not because you're taking down other women. I know, I know. (laughs) It's like, oh, man, I don't know who to root for. I know. Um, I do, though. But uh, yeah, like... Everything is feverish here now at this point. When you think of fevers, you think of like it's it, you're not in a right state of mind and everything is just uh, at a boiling point and so like sick and messed up. Yeah. We should also point out that the Putnam family was in a bitter land dispute with the nurse family, which Rebecca Nurse was part of, as well as the Goods and the Osborne. So like there are other currents running beneath these accusations. Yeah. Then there was poor little Dorothy Good. She was the youngest of the accused and daughter to Sarah Good. Mary Walcott and Ann Putnam Jr. accused four-year-old Dorothy of being deranged and said that she repeatedly bit them as if she was an animal. Mm -hmm. And this is like one of the saddest parts of this whole really, really tragic story is they interrogated four-year-old Dorothy and she confessed to being a witch. She claimed to have seen her mother, Sarah, consorting with the devil. And so, I mean, really, she was told that this is what she saw and she's a child and got broken down. And so that's what she said, right? Her brain's not even like fully, you know. (laughs) She's an infant. Yeah. But Dorothy, yes, believe it or not, at four years old, was arrested and two days later told Salem officials that a snake given to her by Sarah would suck blood from her finger the officials took this to mean that the snake was her familiar, a spiritual servant for witches. You, you've 
heard this in pop culture and Harry Potter. Sabrina yeah. the Teenage Witch, you're a little familiar. Yeah. And so she never actually stood trial, though, but her life was forever marred by the Salem Witch Trials. While in jail, she watched her mother give birth to her sister, who promptly died just before Sarah Good was hanged. And she was in prison for a year, left at the age of five, and then was declared insane. Yeah, this is really sad. Um, Upon arrest, the accused were subject to invasive uh, examinations. The church magistrates looked for moles or birthmarks that indicated Satan was drinking their blood. Sarah Cloyce and Elizabeth Proctor were arrested in April, along with, uh, we mentioned him earlier, but Minister Reverend Burroughs. The Putnams had imprisoned Burroughs previously because he owed them money, but now, oh, shocker, <laughs> they believed him to be a witch. It's just like, you just take anybody that ever crossed you and you go, I think they're a witch. Yeah, just anything yeah. that was like against their Puritan beliefs or the church just like is evil and bad mm-hmm. and awful. Philip English, Daniel Andrew, and Francis Nurse were arrested next, many believe for voting with the porters against paying Paris a salary. The crisis of all this hysteria, it made way for the Parises and Putnams to systematically take out their rivals. And so you can only imagine the degree that the young girls of these families were coached to blame and target specific accused people. Yes, their their rivals, the porters, were incredibly alarmed at the mass hysteria that they were witnessing. As a result, they too were singled out as witches. Then by April 7th, more people were arrested on charges of witchcraft. And come May, the accusations continued to pour in. And it was by this time that some people started to run, and I don't blame them. A few accused witches managed to flee to neighboring communities after they had arrest warrants issued for them. On May 10th, Sarah Osborne, one of the first accused, died in jail. At this time, all of the cases were still in their investigation stage, so that changed on May 27th, 1692, when the courts were ordered to prosecute. Yeah, and they would send, essentially, like, send over a court to these villages to, like, take on these cases. Mm -hmm. So the court of Oyer and Terminer were officially brought in by the government to preside over the Salem Witch Trials. And warrants were issued for another 36 accused witches. So when the court of Oyer and Terminer uh, convened at the end of May, there were a total of 62 people in custody. The formal court proceedings began on June 2nd and lasted about 18 months. During the trials, various tests were conducted to determine if someone was a witch. Monty Python's you know, we famously spoofs this mm-hmm. in the Holy Grail, like, the, you know, the weight of a duck. <laughs> but yeah, it's like yeah. they would do all these like ridiculous tests where the correlation, it's like, what? How does this relate to this? Yeah. One was the touching test, which is when the accused which touches the afflicted person mid fit. Interesting. Uh, if the person calms down, then the accused is a witch because the evil toxins jumped back into its original host. It's like so arbitrary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever. Hmm. Yeah. They also performed dunking, which was that you would dunk a person underwater until they gave a confession. So it's like, okay, well, that's just torture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like if you don't confess, you'll just drown. What? Yeah. Like, oh, oh, we waterboarded someone until they gave a confession. Yeah, you coerced that. Yeah, absolutely. We all want to survive. Bridget Bishop's case was the first to be brought to trial. She was described as not living a Puritan lifestyle because she wore black in odd costumes. Ooh. Yeah. 
Whoa. <laughs> okay. It's like, all right, well, like go to Silver Lake in Los Angeles and we'll see how many witches we find. Actually, oh. I mean, probably a lot, but oh, yeah. um, I'm all for, all for it. Um, yeah. Her strange clothes plus her moral lifestyle led the grand jury to unanimously convict her of being a witch. And on June 10th, 1692, Bishop was led to a tree and hanged. Boo. Black is a great color. Anyway, immediately following Bishop's execution, the jury adjourned for 20 days while they got advice from higher ups. Perhaps they finally realized how dire the consequences of these accusations were. But in turn, the higher ups said, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, for the next like couple weeks, you know, June 30th to early July, the grand juries tried Sarah Good, Elizabeth Howe, Susanna Martin, Sarah Wilds, and Rebecca Nurse, ultimately finding them all guilty of witchcraft. And on July 19th, 1692, all five of these women were hanged. Mm. During Rebecca Nurse's trial, the Bewitch girls broke into fits and accused Rebecca Nurse of tormenting them. Yeah, like Elizabeth Hubbard, as we said, she was known for being super dramatic during these trials. Mm -hmm. And so she went into this deep trance and then during the trance muttered, I saw the apparition of Sarah Good, which did torture me most grievously, but I did not know her name until the 27th of February. And then she told me her name was Sarah Good. And then she did prick me and pinch me most grievously. And also sinned several times, urging me vehemently to write in her devil's book. Yeah, Hubbard went on to accuse 40 more people of witchcraft. She testified a total of 32 times. And as a result, 17 people were arrested, 13 were hanged, and two died in jail. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Booth was 18 at the time and also uh, could testify. She accused 10 community members of witchcraft and accused the whole Proctor family, which included three children. She claimed the Proctors murdered four people and their ghosts were haunting her. In August, the grand juries indicted and convicted Martha Carrier, George Jacobs Sr., George Burroughs, John Willard, Elizabeth Proctor, and John Proctor. Elizabeth Proctor, however, was given a temporary stay of execution because she was preggers. This excerpt from Robert Califf's More Wonders of the Invisible World recalls, Mr. Burroughs was carried in a cart with others through the streets of Salem to execution. When he was upon the ladder, he made a speech for the clearing of his innocence, which he concluded by repeating the Lord's Prayer, as witches were not supposed to be able to recite. Yeah, like, I, I feel like... This was a situation where no matter what anybody did, they were going to change the goalposts. Like mm -hmm. if if it's like, oh, well, witches can't recite the Lord's Prayer, but he just did. Someone would say, oh, well, he was using his witch powers to do. I, I yeah. feel like there was, there was just no reason. Yeah. They abandoned it completely. They believed but, they were witches and that was it. Yeah. yeah. But back to Elizabeth, this day of execution actually saved her life. So on August 19th, 1692, everybody but Elizabeth was hanged. The specific testimonies in court alleged weird things. Job Truney was accused of making people cry and want revenge. Like, okay, well, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, yeah. Giles Corey, Martha Corey's husband, was sentenced to be bound by chains and crushed to death by stones, the only convicted witch to be killed this way for communing with the devil over wine and bread. Martha Corey had one of the more dramatic trials. She just kind of openly called the girls out on their shit. She called them liars. In response, the girls began mimicking her movements like she was controlling them. And then uh, accuser Mercy Lewis, she claimed that she saw a man whispering in Corey's ear. Aww. 
Anne Putman Jr. cried out that she saw a yellow bird sucking on Corey's hand, and that statement was enough for the jury to convict. Corey was hanged on September 22nd, 1692, along with seven other people. Now, you might be wondering, how did this all stop? Like, this is wild. It seems like this frenzy can reach no conclusion. It did, though. Um, The trials and executions finally came to an end when the governor of Boston ordered the village of Salem to stop holding witch trials. The court of Oyer and Terminer were dismissed once the higher government realized how many people were being killed. Like, they, it's kind of like, you know, they didn't really have the direct insight into what was happening. But once they did, they were like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. There were also, um, there also may have been like a personal reason for halting the trials. Just before he ordered the trials to stop, Governor Phipps's wife happened to be called out upon by the accusing girls. In 1693, the Superior Court in Essex County issued pardons against those awaiting executions. Um, For those left, though, they dropped all charges against but five of them who they ultimately deemed not guilty of witchcraft. The not guilty verdicts finally put an end to 18 months of trials and executions. By the end of the trial, 25 people had been killed. Mm -hmm. By 1711, colonial authorities had pardoned some of the accused and then even compensated their families. Elizabeth Johnson Jr., the last of those convicted, was officially exonerated in July 2022. Like, what? What? Yeah. The cheese. That feels way, way too long to not acknowledge this. I think yeah, she's yeah. like I'm I've been gone for so long, like I'm I'm dead now. But okay, that's great. I mean, hey. She's like I got over it a long time ago. Yeah, I got over. <laughs> I'm I'm way over it. Yeah. Um, but with all of this said, the trials do leave behind a very dark legacy. The Salem witch trials have become synonymous with injustice, paranoia, and religious extremism. And then nearly 330 years later in 1992, They finally erected a memorial to commemorate the innocent lives that were lost during the Salem Witch Trials. Next to an old colonial graveyard, the memorial is surrounded on three sides by a granite wall and shaded by six locust trees, which represent the injustice of the trials. If you go to the memorial, you can read the protests of innocence by those killed, uh, which are cut off by the granite walls. This is supposed to symbolize the community's indifference to the plight of the accused. Benches on the memorials just out from the wall are inscribed with the names of 20 victims who were unjustly killed. None of those found guilty of being a witch were actually witches. Instead, their crime was being an outsider and not submitting to the oppressive and controlling Puritan society. And I think we also saw, like, it was just a lot of these, like, intra-family conflicts mm-hmm. and like, oh, well, we're rivals. How can I accuse them and wipe them away? Yeah. You know? And just, and just like not acting as you should as a, a Puritan way, yeah. like just. And I, I do think like they create all these really, really stringent rules and you're going to have people lash out against like you're you're creating a powder keg that's going to go off mm-hmm. yeah yeah and confronting a dark heritage is difficult but it is really important to remember the salem witch trials and understand how atrocities are committed when communities become hysterical and scapegoat outsiders yeah i, I we do see like there's a reason why witch hunt is a term because we see mm-hmm. like especially, you know, things like online now with social media, we see these like frenzied kind of mass hysteric mob moments of, 
the these mob mentalities emerging. Yeah. I also like I do think, you know, granted, like first it was Abigail and um, what was the other girl's name? Oh, uh, Betty. OK, yeah. It was the two of them that were just like playing a game. They were, you know, caught in the act by Reverend Paris. And then they just like kind of started acting out, you know, and yeah. I just like it's so weird how that little moment right there just became bigger uh, with with all of the family quarreling like they were talking about not adhering to the Puritan lifestyle going against the church. So like all of that combined, just creating just, yeah, mass hysteria, chaos. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it escalated from this little catalytic moment and spiraled out of, out of what anybody could control. Yeah. And even like accusing Dorothy, the little four-year-old girl of like, biting and that meant something bad. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had like a child bite me. I mean, I have to be like, hey, don't bite. That's not okay. But like, what? They're all possessed. (laughs) You're right. Maybe they're all like little demons running around. But the fact that like no adult stepped in and said, or maybe, I mean, I'm sure there were, were ones that did think that, but there was such a cult of fear as well, where probably people had conversations behind closed doors at home and they were like, what the fuck? They took this four-year-old little girl. Yeah. But then you're thinking, well, if they're prepared to do that to a four-year-old, think of what they would do to me. I can't speak up. And this is how so many of these these events these in history happen because people are afraid to speak up. Yeah. And the, the kind of like the brainwashing side of it too, where it's just like, oh, well, maybe she really is like bad. She really did bite or she really did do this. So- and yeah. they're saying it's bad and these are the behaviors of the devil. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. And Giles Corey, who was pressed to death, um, they mm-hmm. took him out to a field and they put a big, they piled stones on his chest to press him to death. He originally wasn't even accused until he he st- stood up for his wife, Martha. And then they were like, well, you must be a witch too. And he, part of the reasons that he was executed was because he refused to plead guilty. Like, yeah, or to, he refused to submit a plea, actually, in general. He just said, oh, no, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that at, at a time like this, it was probably really hard to be like, no, I'm not I'm not participating in this. Yeah. But he was the ultimate Ken and supported his Barbie. Well, not at first. At first, <laughs> I think he did. <laughs> at first, I think he did had a Ken stumble and mm-hmm. he like was like, maybe she is a witch. But then he was like, no, no, she's not a witch. Yeah. yeah. So he he wasn't an Allen. <laughs> he was he was more of a can, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I um I don't know. When I talk about this, and maybe it's just because I'm surrounded more of it, you know, from from pop culture, but like, yeah, I don't know. I want to be a witch. I want to do some fun spells. I wanna Yeah. I don't know. And I also when I think of witches, I also do and this is again pop culture, my brain being weird. I do think of an odd like sisterhood. I do think of women mm-hmm. and be like, are we witches? And I don't know. It's just like a weird like, yeah. connection. There's a connection I, there. I think about being in touch with nature, being in touch with yourself and being mm-hmm. in touch with your community and other mm-hmm. women. And I think it's cool. I do too. And your body and like, yeah, just and, and having like a respect for everything around you and seeing how cyclical and tied everything is together. Absolutely. Really cool. And not being afraid to question some of kind of the crazy rules and power and all those other things. Yeah. So. I think we, we've got a little sisterhood on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. You and me, Kelly Reynolds, our editor, yep. who does amazing cuts for us. 
um, Shannon, our writer who wrote this episode. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Everybody working together. Look at us. I love our awesome, uh, I was going to say our, our completely uh, witch team. There is Christian, our producer. He's great too. He's he's a great supporter of the he's witches. He's an Allen. He's an Allen. He is an Allen. <laughs> he's an ally. Oh my um, gosh. Do you think that part of the reason they chose his name to be Allen? I know aside from the, the Allen doll that existed was because he was an ally. There you go. Alan the ally. Love it. Wow. I love it. Sorry, we're making a lot of Barbie references, but I'm sure it's made a billion dollars. So you probably saw it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's just been, I know it's been months, but it's just been, you know, in my brain. But I hope you guys like this episode It being spooky season and everything, just giving you some of the backstory and honestly, the whole story of the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. Thank you for supporting this podcast, continuing to subscribe and share it. We really appreciate it. You for being part of this little coven. Yeah. And then also we're we're making some fun TikToks too. So go go watch mm-hmm. those. Go share them. Um, we'd love the support. Uh well, until next week. Bad bye, Sister Jessica. Bad bye, or sister. Or actually <laughs> I should say bad bye, goody Jessica. There you go. There you go. Bad bye, goody Elise. <laughs>